Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met directly or indirectly many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Welcome to another Sandro Forte podcast with me, Sandro Forte. Today's guest is Nick Leeson. Nick is a former derivatives broker who worked at the bank Bearings, the then oldest merchant bank in London, which as a result of rogue trader activity and speculative unauthorized moves he made from 1992, suffered over a billion dollars of losses and subsequently folded. This resulted in global notoriety for Nick. Sentenced to six and a half years in Changi Prison in Singapore, Nick was released in 1999, having been diagnosed with colon cancer, which he survived despite a very poor prognosis at the time. In prison, Nick wrote a book called Rogue Trader, which was turned subsequently into a film. Since then, he's become a regular after-dinner speaker, a lecturer, and has been involved in various business interests, including Irish football club Galway United FC. And, of course, Nick has recently appeared on Celebrity Big Brother, in which he finished fourth. So once again, my guest today, Nick Leeson. Welcome, Nick. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Lots of people are very excited about you being a guest because I know there's lots of questions that for many people remain unanswered. I'm here to clarify a few of those today. So obviously, Nick, you've you gained notoriety, uh, yeah. as many of us know, um, headline news all that time ago. Would you say that what happened back in the 90s really defined you as a person? Does it still define you today? You must get sick of being asked all the same questions all of the time but do you, has that experience shaped you and if so how well it definitely it definitely shapes you i mean i think we're we are all the sum of our experiences so that the, the, there's good experiences and bad experiences within that and you know i've i've certainly had my fair share of both um and there's a lot of bad experiences that were associated with prison as well so you very quickly have to learn how to deal with certain situations and um you know uh, the the way that I managed to deal with those still still sticks with me today. Um, so I, I don't always think back to my time spent in prison and how I dealt with situations, but it gives you this innate ability that you, you know you can cope. Um, you know you can face most things down because I think from the first day I I, I stepped foot foot into prison, I didn't know how I was going to survive, but somehow I did. Um, I spent four and a half years in prison in, in between Singapore and Germany and, and you get by and it is this innate ability that I genuinely believe that we all have. Um, you know, I also believe that you, you're, you're only confronted with what you can cope with. Um, where you find the strength from is, is very difficult somewhat, uh, sometimes, it, it is innate, um, but it is there, it's in all of us and... Um, you know, the more that we can encourage or, or work out ways that we bring it to the fore, then people will be able to cope um, a lot better in their in their lives. So I don't necessarily focus on all the good things. There's plenty of bad things um, that make me what I am today. But, 
you know, in terms of what happened back in, in that period, 1995 to 1998, or uh, sorry, uh, 92 to 95, um, that period will, I, I think, will be at the forefront of most people's minds um, when they think of my name. Um, I think they might have changed a little bit recently with uh, the celebrity Big Brother thing. So there might be some 18 to 25 year olds who, who remember me more for having a tortoise outfit on running around a, a house in L Street. Um, but that's fine. It's, you know, it's you are what you are. And, you know, none of us can deny history and things that have happened in the past. Uh, it's not necessarily a case of embracing it, but it, it's more of a, a um, being aware of what that genuinely means to you and putting that in the in, in the right context and using that going forward. Mm. You said something very interesting just now, and I've never heard anyone say this before. Mm. You're only confronted with what you can cope with. That's clearly a belief that you have. Yeah, no, look, I, I like I wouldn't have thought I would have been able to cope with any of the things that I did. I mean, you know, prison, the um, the losses at the bank, you know, I was divorced whilst I was in prison, diagnosed with cancer. And somehow, you know, you can find that strength to overcome. Um, I, you know, it doesn't pop up in front of you. You, you have to dig deep. Um, but I do genuinely believe that we've all got it in us. Um, and it's whether that comes through some form of visualization when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was receiving the chemotherapy I, I, I had six months of chemotherapy whilst I was in prison in Singapore so you go through a process where you have five days of chemotherapy and then you have three weeks off that was the um, uh, that was the diagnosis or, or, or the structure that I was under uh, and for the, for the five days it's tough and you, you, you take anti-nausea drugs and then you get um, you, you become addicted to the anti-nausea drugs so when they um, when, when you're not getting those you start to feel sick at certain times of the day it's very very difficult to eat um, so you have to get yourself into a routine and the one thing that I used to do at that particular time so this was one of the ways of coping then was just and it's a very basic form of visualisation but um, after I'd had the, uh, the the chemotherapy drugs and intravenously, and I, I went back to the prison, you could eat in the afternoon. So I'd have the uh, I'd have the chemotherapy in the morning, uh, and then in the afternoon, uh, sorry, in the afternoon you wouldn't be able to eat, but in the morning that you could. So you know everything was uh, very much biased to eating in the morning. But once I'd had the chemotherapy for the five days, you could then visualise. And the fact that it was leaving your body by sweating. So I was in Singapore, so I'd make sure that I was out walking, out running, even in the morning before I'd go and get the chemotherapy again. And it was just a, you know, I knew that the drug was causing me damage um, and that it was making me, making me feel sick. But through that visualization of sweating and trying to pass it through my body quicker, gave me the uh, gave me the sense that I was in some form of control rather than just being you know completely at the whim of what was being done to me mm. I, I one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you as a guest is is not really to explore and go over a lot of old ground because that's been done to death but yeah. Um, is really to look at, at what's happened since, really. Right. Now, uh, when we were talking earlier, you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, you now make a living, don't you, as, a, as an after-dinner speaker, do, as a yeah. lecturer. Um, what, what messages, what lessons have you learned that you pass on to, to people? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I do do a lot of after-dinner and conferences that, that I talk at, so I do keynote addresses. For me, it's, I, I tell stories. So I, and there's one story that I know better than anybody, and that's the, the, the collapse at the bank. And... 
Um, you know, it's a case of looking at yourself and really uh, not necessarily bearing your soul, but when you're in prison and you, you have time to reflect and, and self-reflect, you, you, you have to take yourself apart. And, and when you've been in such a negative experience, and, you know, I, I, I would imagine that there's some similarities with people who um, suffer some form of addiction, mm. you, you have to admit what you are and who you are and what you're doing to yourself before you can start to build yourself back up. Um, so that was very much the process that I was in uh, during my time in prison in Singapore. You know, I was keeping notes and writing a diary every day. And you look at things that you've done and the way that you reacted and the way that you were in relationships with certain people. And you, you come to the conclusion that you don't particularly like yourself. So you have to do something about it. But until you've really gone that th through that process of completely dismantling yourself, being quite aggressive and... and uh, and, um, you know, really um, quite unnice about yourself and, and, and you really have got to that stage where you are completely dismantled, then you can start to put yourself back together. But if you don't get that realisation, you don't get that accountability um, and you don't accept what you are or what you were, um, I think you struggle then to move forward and rebuild yourself. And And a lot of people have a problem with that. And I think it's because... You know, there's a couple of different reasons. I think, you know, my self-reflection was a forced self-reflection. I was in prison for four and a half years. So sometimes when you're in business or you're you're chasing the dream or chasing the profit of whatever the organisation does that you that, that you're running, um, life is so fast-paced that you don't have your you don't have time to put your uh, put your finger on a pause button or on a stop button to really work out whether you're achieving what you want to achieve or, or, or whether you're, you're damaging yourself living your life at the pace that you are. And I remember when I first arrived in, in, in prison in Singapore, you, you know, you're always looking for the slightest positive that makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. And, and the one I always used to put my finger on was that if I'd continued the way that I was going, you know, 90, 1995 at Bearings, you know, the losses and the stress that the way they were, the way that I was living my life, um, lots of alcohol, you know, not eating particularly well, not exercising enough. Um, the conclusion I drew was that I was going to have a heart attack fairly soon, you know, age 28, 29, 30 or whatever it was going to be. You know, little did I know that in a couple of years I was going to be diagnosed with colon cancer, which is also goes back to that period when, you know, my life was out of control. So, you know, it is difficult for a lot of people to just press that pause button and really have a look at themselves and are you achieving what you want to achieve is your health as good as it possibly should be are mm. you you know are there any signs that your body's giving you that something could possibly be wrong and you know they were all there and prevalent for me at the time I was just you know as the majority of men do specifically more so than women you know we just ignore um what we you know we we, we have a job to provide and a job to um, to, to, to make money and uh, I think people just got caught up too much in that and you know it sounds like a, a, a it's not a stupid comment but it you know it, it's a it's a weird comment in that you know uh, being prosecuted and going to prison forced me to do that mm. uh, and that was an opportunity that uh, well, it wasn't even an opportunity it was what I needed at that time yeah so a couple of things again that you've you've touched on which i think are really important and a, a lot of people are asking themselves this question all the time nick and that is number one you mentioned about the world being fast-paced more yeah. so now than ever before and the other thing is this kind of weight of expectation you know more and more and more 
younger people are you know going to professions and embarking on a road in life that they don't truly passionately believe in they just mm. feel that that's their lot in life or it's what's expected of them is that i mean that's really what you're saying isn't it there are a lot of people the weight of expectation the fact that we don't take time to reflect on where we are in life that's quite a strong message is from what I'm hearing yeah yeah I mean I at, at the time I would have had an, a, a very exalted opinion of what success was you know it was being at the top of the organization and making the important decisions and you know I think it's it's as important for people to understand that there's other ways of garnering success putting food on the table for your kids to eat is success you know so um, it's just about moderating and understanding what success is in your lifetime and or, or in your life and uh, and making sure that you you don't extend yourself out out of that whereas mine you know for me I'm a, a very very much a um, you know an alpha um, type personality or type a personality as well and you know for me there was only one place and that was the top um, and you know a few rungs below the top would have been um, would w- would have probably served me a little bit better I didn't step on people to to get where I wanted to be because that's not what I'm about you know for a short period of my business career I was very good at my job and um, and I progressed as a result of that but just you know we need we need checks and balances in our life as well you know yeah you, yeah you have to work out what your goals are what you want to achieve and and then make sure that within that as well your health is being looked after and that your relationships are working the way that you want to do and it's almost as if you you know you want to tick a few things off from time to time to mm. make sure that you're you're going in the right direction because it is easy to get um to uh, to, to veer off in the wrong direction and and that's where that check and balance needs to come in and you need to get pushed back into line as you do within an organisation, um, you know, it's it's exactly the same sort of thing. So it would be fair to say, Nick, that, you know, going back all those years, to use a phrase, strip bare, you know, divorce, yeah. health out of control, um, you know, financially, the complete opposite of where you've been previously, extreme poor health. I mean, yeah. diagnosis of colon cancer doesn't get much worse than that. No. So you're, you're facing mortality yeah. um, head on. Do you think, let, let's just use the word punishment because yeah. a lot of people will say well he deserved it yeah, yeah. Um, but other people will say do you believe that people should go on being punished does, does that name follow you around you strike me as if you don't mind me saying a, a very humble down-to-earth guy has that changed a lot do you think that people should be continually punished was four and a half years in prison enough for you and and let's draw a line and move on and have you changed as a result it's a kind of three or four questions in one but yeah i uh, i mean I, I i view everything that happened to me as part of the punishment and you know i've got broad shoulders and i'm willing to accept that so you know the time spent in prison uh the difficulties that you first have when you come out of prison the cancer the divorce and and, and anything else that happened during that period because we're probably forgetting something but I can't think what it is but um, the um, all of that is part of the punishment and and you know like w- th- there are consequences to actions right so and, and I explain to this to my kids all of the time you know if you if you decide to take a particular course of um, action make sure that you understand what the consequences are before you do it and so that's one of the you know, the, one of the metrics by which I, I live my life. So, you, you know, it's not a case of doing something and then thinking about it afterwards. I'll always think about it at the beginning in terms of what the ramifications of that action may be, uh, more so than I did previously. 
um, during my time at Bering. So that's one of the things to come out of it. Um, you then go through a period of being apologetic, um, showing remorse, and it, it's impossible to work out what the right amount of remorse is. You know, I am contrite, I am sorry for everything that happened, and I've definitely been through that period of remorse. But you you kind of have to make a decision at some point where, and, and nobody can tell you where this is, you don't stand in front of a judge and he says, you know, I sentence you to six and a half years in prison and then 10 years of remorse. He mm. doesn't do that. So, you know, it's a very personal thing in terms of um, trying to work out what that amount of remorse is. So I've been... You know, I was released from prison in 1999, so 19 years ago, um, you know, I very active on the after dinner and, uh, and uh, conference circuit. And but I get requested to go to those events rather than me putting myself out there or trying to position that I'm available. So it's on request. So um, and, and I'm comfortable with that because um, it means that people specifically want me to attend their events and talk, talk to them. So when. You know, I came to the stage where I'm doing Celebrity Big Brother. It was a real challenge for me because, you know, you've gone through all of this process of self-reflection and changing and, you know, behaviour exists on a continuum. My behaviours aren't madly different from when they were when I was working in the bank, but there's a good end of the spectrum and there's a bad end of the spectrum. And, you know, hopefully I'm a little bit closer to the good end or nearer to the good end than I am the bad end. There was a lot of bad end behavior during that particular time. So in doing Celebrity Big Brother, you know, it was kind of, I, I've gone through this rebuilding process. Um, it's 23 years since the collapse of the bank and things that went wrong there. It's 19 years since I was let out of prison. And, and, and this is me, you know, so how is that going to be accepted? And you know, we, we all use social media the, these days and you probably use it a damn sight better than I do because I'm still trying to catch up. But, um, you know, the, the response on social media has been overwhelmingly positive. So, you know, that's fantastic because that was the gamble for me and it was a big gamble, you know, because if people didn't like me after I made these adjustments, you know, that's not a, 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 a ringing endorsement of what I've tried to achieve over that period. So I think what you got on Celebrity Big Brother was the was the real me. When you go back to the collapse of Barings Bank between 92 and 95, you know, there was a lot of um, lot of reporting at the time that was, or in the 95 period that was, you know, sensational. It's all about the stereotypical life of a, of a trader, the Porsches, the penthouse, the yachts, none of which I had. You know, like I, I took a pay cut to go to Singapore. I am very down to earth. I'm, you know, humble. I, I don't know. It's, it's not a word that you normally associate with yourself. It's lovely when other people say it to you, um, but it's not a name, uh, not a word that I would immediately uh, use myself to describe my, uh, to, to describe me. But I'm glad it comes across that way, because what you see is what you get. And um, you know, my talks are very candid. They're honest. They're self-deprecating. Um, and there's no other way for it to be because, you know, when you look back at that period, it is definitely the most embarrassing period of my life. And unfortunately, it'll be one that I'll be remembered for in most people's eyes. Um, but maybe that's changed a little bit over the uh, over the last few um, few weeks and months. That's not really what my target is either. Um, you know, it was more a case of you know, this is me type thing. And I, I think the endorsements and the positive response for me, 
is endorsing something that I knew anyway. You know, in 95 to 98, I was still a nice guy, you know, but my behaviours got out of control for a period of time. Um, but, you know, I'm not that fundamentally different than at the core uh, than I was during that period. You know, very loyal, um, you know, um, always looking for opportunities, uh, you know, hardworking, diligent, accurate. Those things are still very much true today as they were during that period. Mm. Uh, but there were a few things that went wrong, undoubtedly. So going back to, uh, you know, the, the mid-90s, mm. going back to the financial crisis of 08, 09, without being yeah. too provocative about this, yeah. do you think in your experience, Nick, that the same mistakes are being made in, cor- in the corporate world, particularly in the world of you know, finance, for example. Do you, yeah. do you, do you see that human behaviour repeating itself? Because it, isn't that an inevitable part of human behaviour? Unfortunately so, and it is, you know, behaviour is what it's all about, conduct, culture, whatever, um, whatever um, words you want to associate with it. But at the core of any issue or any problem within, uh, within business or with, certainly within the financial markets are people. Um, and it's important that you challenge people. It's important that you, uh, at the same time as you're challenging them, you make sure that you support them. You create an environment where their voice is heard, uh, which is very difficult in financial markets. You know, people tend not to hear uh, uh, below a certain level within the organisation. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of different schools of thought. There's one which is called intent-based le- leadership at the moment, which I think is is particularly valid um, and, you know, would uh, would correctly characterise everything that was wrong at Bearings at that particular time. Um, but people get complacent. That's For me, that's part of what it comes down to. When things are good and it's easy to make money or people are making money and they're running along with their lives in, in that helter-skelter fashion, you forget something. And, and that's usually when the problem arrives. And um, I think the financial markets are monitored and controlled you know infinitely better than they were in the in the 92 to 95 period because there's better caliber people involved in them there's more focus on risk management and compliance and things like that um is there potential for disaster absolutely because people take their finger off the pulse and they're not proactive enough about what's going on within their organizations and you can go and I do visit banks and, you, you, you know, you look at some of the controls and procedures that they have in place and they're the same now as they were five years ago. Mm. That's a, a good eye, a good sign that somebody's already circumventing those rules because they've been in place for too long. So banks need to be proactive and, uh, and make sure that the environment is, in sa- is as safe as possible. I mean, bankers, it's a trust industry, right? You need the trust of your customers and if, if you're... If, if, Ultimately, the, the the customers don't trust you, then the industry is going to have problems. And, uh, you know, that's why it needs to be as safe as it possibly can be. I hear um, the word stop, check back. Yeah. So what you said earlier, Nick, is, is, is very closely linked to what you're now talking about in terms of the corporate world, that sometimes we just need to pause, reflect, yeah. look at where we are. That, that's your message, right? Yeah, well, you, I, I think in big business and in organisations, you have a lot of near misses, right? And people, you, when you have a near miss be that from a trading perspective or be it from something that's gone wrong within your organisation, whatever your organisation may be, go back and examine why that was a near miss and what were the controls and procedures that should have been put put into place. So, yeah, reflection in everything that you do. You know, these things happen for reasons and, and, and they are a forewarner of something 
um, that may be going wrong within the organisation. And you're you're being asked, going back to what you said earlier, you're being asked to speak after dinner and at corporate events mm. um, rather than you approaching them, which yeah. is kind of enlightening, really, because I suppose that everyone sees, and we're already getting an insight into this today, a lot of people see the very valuable messages that you can bring to an event or to a group of individuals. Yeah, I, and I suppose whenever I do an event, regardless of who the uh, the, the sponsor for the event is, I, I don't try to promote what they're trying to do. I think the story does that as of right, and people then, then can um, uh, take the story and rework it uh, back into what they want to generate from the story but it, uh, or from their own event um, or the products that they're selling. Uh, you know, it's a really interesting story. It, it's funny in part. It's got some really important messages. It's got a lot of personal messages in terms of things that you can do yourself. Um, and you do get people to, who, who ask you advice and you, you, know, you try to give the best advice that you possibly can. Um, whether it's completely meaningful in the context of uh, of their own business life, you you know you 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 often question. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a, I'm a storyteller, um, but the story happened, right? It's real life. It does happen, and people do get complacent. Um, and and there are lots of different messages that you can uh, you can bring back into that story that can be of benefit benefit both to individuals and to and to business. I, I spoke an event at the Barbican in the city um, not so long ago now, and it was for a group of treasurers. Um, and um, somebody there at the end of the, the 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 meeting came over to me and he said, "Look, Nick, I'm." And this was only a couple of years ago, and he said, "There's something going on in my bank." that I'm not particularly happy with, I have some concerns over it. I've got an email that's in my outbox or it's about to be sent um, and it's going to the CEO to raise these concerns. Um, What do you think I should do? And I said, well, look, I don't know the intricacies of the particular case. The only thing I can tell you is it's a damn sight easier to get a new job than it is to get a new reputation. So please do the right thing. And, and, And so, you know, that's just from a personal perspective in terms of, you know, things I didn't do correctly years ago. And, and, and it's taken me 23 years to get my reputation back. And it's not, it's not completely unclouded yet. And I don't think it ever will be, you know, if I'm being realistic about it. What I, what I hear, what I get from you more than anything else is, is a really, really candid openness and honesty that is, is really uplifting, I've got to say. Not many people, okay, we know you've been stripped bare, so yeah. that has helped to kind of develop those those thoughts those feelings that mindset um but you know, clearly there's a very important message for both in, both for individuals and the reason we wanted you on the show is, mm. is for that reason mm. what's the is there such a thing as a question you get asked more than any other is it would it surprise us or no i i suppose the most common one did you do it for the money <laughs> well no no i didn't well i didn't do that for the money i did celebrity big brother for the money but the um the, uh, no, there was no money stolen at Bearings. It was just um, it was just a case of um, trying to survive um, and surviving very very badly and making some really stupid decisions. You compound those with a bit of alcohol, uh, which is a very poor coping strategy. But it you know it enabled me to blot out a few days and survive for another period of time. Um, and it was just about surviving. And you look for these. You know these the, the the tiniest positive, or uh, and they end up being false positives that you're going to be able to turn the situation around, um, and, and and ultimately it collapses like the house of cards that it was. But um, 
you know, I suppose the questions that I often get asked, like there have been lots of funny ones over the years, but the most common one is, you know, what was the movie like and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I have funny responses to all of those, but the... Um, and they're honest as well. I mean, how how they picked you and McGregor to play me, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure where the similarities come from. But um, it's just part and parcel of what what I've had to become over the period. So, you know, the fact that I'm I, I think I'm quite transparent these days and honest and candid about what I do is there's no other way to be. If you you know when you're in the media eye, which I was for a period of time and am again now. You know, if you hide something away, they'll find it, you know. So I try to do as much as I can so that, you know, whatever the reflection is of me or whatever the perception is of me, that it's as rounded and as, as complete as it possibly can be. And, uh, you know, I suppose when you come back from prison in, or when I came back from prison in 1999, you've got two choices. You can, you can run away and hide and stick your head in the sand or you can confront it and deal with it and then move forward. And, and, use that to benefit yourself and um you know, you know i um as we've mentioned a few times my you know my living is made through through talking um and i support my family through that method and um whilst i don't necessarily go out and promote that i'm looking for jobs um you know i get afforded a very good living by it and I, and i'm exceptionally grateful for that because you know, I was given an opportunity that lot, not a lot of people returning from a, a four and a half year or a six and a half year um, prison sentence are. Uh, and I'm conscious of that. Mm. And how was, not that we can compare the two things, but I know you've been quoted as saying, yeah. social circles, uh, that celebrity big brother in many ways being in the house was worse than prison. Yeah. I'm sure that's not true. But um, what, was, what was CBB like? it's tough it's a tough environment you um you know what you see is what you get i think people think that you get handed extra food during the course of the day and that your family get in to see you it doesn't happen that way you are you are locked off or, or closed off from humanity uh, bar the 12 people that you're sharing the house with for for a period of three and a half weeks so there's no clocks you have no idea what time of, the time of day is you don't see other people um, so it's a very strange environment. There's some similarities with prison. You know, they do close certain parts of the uh, the house off from time to time. So you are locked in uh, with nowhere to go, which, you know, you, you know that the shutter's going to come up and you're going let, to get let back out into the garden eventually. Um, but then you've, you, you know, I remember sitting in the garden and you're, you're surrounded by four walls and all you see is the sky and that's very much like prison. Mm. So you, you, you know, you are kept away from uh, from from the real world, and it, and that, you know, there are definite similarities, and that it's tough, it's boring. Um, there's an awful lot of time to kill. Um, there's issues going on all the time that you have to deal with. Um, you know, prison was tougher because of the extent of time. If you look at, you know. A month in prison versus a month in the celebrity Big Brother house. They wouldn't have dressed me up in stupid costumes. I wouldn't have had to do tasks. The food was probably slightly better in Celebrity Big Brother, but not a great deal. You know, we did eat rice one day with tomato ketchup in it. So it's tough, you know, because we were on a, a reduced budget for most of the time that I was in there. 
So a um, couple of quick questions then mm. before we, we wrap up, uh, although I could go on chatting to you all day. But um, one thing we hear from lots of people, Nick, is, you know, follow your dreams, pursue your ambition. But, but you've been in that position before. Mm. Um, at what point do you get to a stage where ambition becomes potentially quite dangerous so when do you how do you know you've got to that kind of line in the sand and at what point do you pull yourself back and how do you do it i I don't necessarily uh, think you can define where that point in the sand is i think that's where where it becomes quite tough so you know that constant reflection um i think is important um it's not necessarily your own reflection but maybe that you know your nearest and dearest need to um, need to be communicated with on on, on that pro- progress as well because they're probably going to be your biggest critics in mm. terms of whether you're extending on the, on those boundaries and whether you you know you are achieving exactly um, what you what, what what you want to achieve. So there's a certain amount of self reflection and then you know your inner circle or, or those people close to you as well. Um, I, I think as soon as it starts to impact on your on the stress that you're feeling within your life, I think that's a an indicator that maybe you've taken on too much as well. So there are a few different things. If it's affecting your health, obviously, is another issue as well that, that, that needs to be looked at. But just taking that time out to really reflect on, on, on where you are and where you want to be. And you've got a, a family now. You mm-hmm. live in a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. Um, how important is the support of your family? Uh, the, my family are everything to me now. You know, it wasn't, certainly wasn't that way when I was in Singapore. So that's one of the changes that I've had to make. And, uh, you know, I, I have three children to, uh, to look after. And, uh, you know, they, they, um, whilst I travel a lot to talk, I, I always want to get home and spend time with them. So your focus and your, the things that are important in, in your life do change. And, um, you know, I th- not that I'm encouraging everybody to immediately go and, go and get a family so that it will change the way that they're approaching life. But, you know, I think success is really, really important. Uh, and it was really important to me and that you need ways that you can measure success um, by. And, um, you know, it, it's just about um, scaling back how you achieve the success or what success means to you um, that becomes important within that. And, and genuinely, you know, I've always done a job, uh, thankfully, that I've enjoyed. Um, I've only really done two jobs in my life, one which, of which was in the financial services sector and the other which was in football. Um, you know, both things that I've enjoyed greatly, no two days are the same, but there's a lot of people out there who do a job not necessarily because they enjoy it but because they have to provide for their family and 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 that's important also and you know those people to understand that that they uh that they achieve success by by what they do is equally important i think we all need success it's an important part of what we are as uh human beings just you can't let it run away with yourself. I, I also, I suppose, just to finish off uh, on that particular thing, I also had a huge fear of failure. You know, we can't be worried about failing. You know, people do fail. Uh, people fail multiple times and they pick themselves back up and and, and they get on with stuff. But in, in my case, it was definitely a case of huge need for success, huge fear of failure, which meant that I didn't communicate. I wasn't a great, I was quite introvert when I worked at Bearings. Um, but I've learned to communicate over the years and communication for me overcomes most things in life. You know, if you if, if you have a problem, you know, share that problem and talk to people about what's going on and you will get you will get help.
Final question, if yeah. I may. And this is the question we ask to all our guests. Sure. I don't think I think it's fair to say, Nick, that uh, you know you've got a, a lifetime of experience all crammed into a fairly short period of time. Yeah. Um, so this is probably more pertinent question to you than to most guests, and that is quite simple, really. If you and you've got kids, so yeah. if you imagine that you were giving advice to yourself now, the 15, 16 year old version of Nick Leeson, yeah. and knowing all the things that you know now, all all those good and bad experiences, yeah. what advice succinctly would you give to yourself if you had to do it all over again? Um, well, the, the advice is succinct, and then I'll like, expand on it a little bit. Uh, always ask for help and advice. Uh, it's quite a simple one, I, and I've told my children that since they were eight, nine, ten years of age. Um, and it, you know, people and my children are going to face difficulties in their life, and they're going to make decisions, and they might be the wrong decisions. But you know, I'm always there. I'm always approachable. Communicate as as well as you possibly can, but. Always ask for help and advice. I was 25 years old. Um, I was in a very um, uh, high testosterone industry where we didn't talk about failure. Um, I didn't ask for help and advice, and I saw it at the time. Uh, and then we're talking about the 1990s world of banking. Uh, I saw it as a sign of weakness. I should have seen it as a sign of trying to do things correctly. I was surrounded by people that could help me and could have pointed me in the right direction and I didn't do that really, really simple thing. And it's only a case of opening your mouth and asking for help of somebody that's around you. Fantastic. So final, final question, uh, more about you really. Mm. People are undoubtedly going to want to find out a little bit more about you, what you're up to, where you are at any given time. How do people find out about Nick Lease and communicate with you? You've got a website? Yeah, there is a website. I, I don't own the website myself. It's, uh, it's just nickleeson.com, so my speaking agents look after that. I um, I do do a bit of uh, financial trading, um, uh, uh, not not advice, but we do a bit of training. for for Far too many people are getting involved in financial markets from a retail perspective, trying to do it on their own at the moment. Um, and I think there's a lot of misleading advertising that brings them into this particular field, be that in Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And people are getting involved in spread betting and uh, things like yeah. that, which are exceptionally uh, high risk. And, and they're getting involved with, with uh, very little education or experience of the market. So we try to give them a little bit. It's all free. Um, and, um, you know, it's come and see me at an event sometime soon. Absolutely well. Nick Leeson, you've been a terrific guest. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sandro Forte podcast and what a great guest Nick Leeson was today. There will, of course, be another fascinating and insightful interview next week, so do make sure you join us. Sandro's podcast. Same on all channels. Please remember to share your thoughts, your ideas, experiences and suggestions and keep those coming. You can email me hello at sandrospodcast.com and please do leave a review for us on iTunes as usual we're keen to know what you'd like more or less of of course in the future and if you've really enjoyed listening to one particular guest do let us know and we'll see if we can get them back again until next time wishing you success